sites. And usually, if I start a sermon with the Babylon Bee, it's because it's funny. Um, but I'm not going to do that today because you may not know, but the founder of the Babylon Bee, his name is Adam Ford, is someone who has had debilitating anxiety. Let me read to you what he wrote in an article not so long ago. For seven years, I have lived with generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and social anxiety. It has completely changed my life. Before I had these issues, I was an outgoing type A extrovert. I fed off social situations and loved being the center of attention. Today, I'm a serious introvert who struggles mightily with social situations, unfamiliar settings, having any attention on me, meeting new people, talking on the phone, or even writing an article like this one. More often than not, I just can't do it. I've been unable to leave my house for stretches of time. I've almost crashed my car while having a panic attack. I hate going to the doctor or even to the hairdresser. I can't do small groups with people I don't know. I've tried so, so hard to go to conferences, but I've never been able to go through with it. I'm a mess, really. Well, Diana was very helpful in helping us see what anxiety is. So what is it and how common is it? Um, it was very helpful for Diana to, to and Beyond Blue is a, a really good website in terms of mental health, including um, anxiety and depression and others. Um, there's, as Diana said, there's the, the kind of anxiety that we just face day to day. We get anxious feelings, we're worried, we're stressed. But then there is the anxiety as an ongoing mental health struggle. And this second kind of anxiety, Beyond Blue really helpfully um, defines it as this. Have a look at that. Anxiety in the second sense is more than just feeling stressed or worried. While stress and anxious feelings are a common response to a situation where we feel under pressure, they usually pass once the stressful situation has passed or stressor is removed. Anxiety of this sense is when these anxious feelings don't go away, when they're ongoing and happen without any particular reason or cause. It's a serious condition that makes it hard to cope with daily life. Everyone feels anxious from time to time, but for someone experiencing anxiety, these feelings aren't easily controlled. And I think you heard from Diana how that's something that she has had to face from a very young age. So how common is anxiety in that second form? Well, it actually is the most common mental health condition in Australia. You got that? It's the most common. On average, one in four people that's one in three women, it's more frequent in women, one in five men will experience this kind of anxiety at some stage in their life. In a 12-month period, over 2 million Australians experience anxiety. That's almost 10% of our population at any one time experiences this kind of anxiety. Now, I've got to admit, I've never experienced anxiety particularly in that form. And I wouldn't see myself as an especially anxious person. Those of you who know me will know that you know, I generally have not been um, that anxious for long periods of time. But you know what? I went on the Beyond Blue website and I did one of those self-analyses um, online, just checking my anxiety levels. And even I came up with, my results were, I'm moderately anxious. Right? That surprised me. Because I wouldn't even characterize myself as that anxious. And even I came up with moderately anxious. So you need to know that anxiety is 
going to be everyone's experience at some point. Not necessarily the second kind, although that is one in, one in four, but just the day-to-day stresses and worries, things that will keep you up at night, lose sleep over, right? It's going to be everyone's experience. Now, my aim today in a talk like this, in the next half an hour or so, I'm not going to do what a trained mental health professional can. And many of you in mental health, in counseling, and psychology, I'm not going to do what you've been trained to do. That's not my background. That's not my training. What I want to do is to open the Bible, open God's Word for us. Now, you need to know the Bible is not a substitute for professional help. But as God's Word, it can complement, shed light, bring out the best of things that you might also get from counseling and psychotherapy. That's really helpful. But the main reason why we want to look at the Bible is because, and this is a really important point that I'll come through again and again in today's talk, the Bible presents an alternate story. See, if you are an anxious person or you're struggling with anxiety or any mental health issue, your struggle is telling you a story, isn't it? There is a narrative, a story, a a way of understanding you, your world, your problems. And that story can be so consuming that you can't function. The reason why we want to open the Bible is because the Bible presents another story, a better story, a story that you can be a part of, that can, you can ground your reality in. Even if your feelings don't match up yet, as Diana says, sometimes just, your feelings need to catch up with that. But the Bible will present another story. And that's what I hope to do today, is to give you that alternate story and to invite you to take part in that. Now, as I said, I am not a mental health professional. So what I want to do today is really to cast a very wide net because I want to speak to those with the more kind of um, uh, ongoing, debilitating types of anxiety, or at least some of you. But I also want it to be helpful for those of us who just will day-to-day go through stresses and anxieties and seasons of worry. So I want to be able to cast a wide net as possible, which means that there's going to be, you know, and Diana mentioned some of these, there's going to be other pockets of anxiety disorders, such as those phobias or or, or panic disorders, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, obsessive-compulsive disorders, general anxiety disorders. There's going to be a whole lot of those things that, unfortunately, I won't be able to cover. Right? And, as, and of course, as I said earlier, anxiety coupled with depression, they tend to sometimes go hand in hand. And I won't be able to cover depression um, as a part of my talk today. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be helpful things that you, know, that you can apply, that you can take away. Again, taking the, the idea of, that God is giving you another story can be, I think, really, really helpful no matter what your mental health struggle. But my recommendation is for you to please continue to seek help or to seek help for the first time if you haven't already from mental health professionals. And especially if this talk triggers things for you, um, there's a couple of numbers at the bottom of the bulletins you got, Lifeline, Beyond Blue, they're 24-7 support. And of course, your pastors are here to talk to you um, and our contact, uh, Dom's contact details at the front of the bulletins. So please talk to someone, especially your mental health professional. Um, and the, the things I won't be able to cover, also I've put down a couple of books that might be helpful for you to follow up on, all right? So having said that, all that, uh, let's go. You can follow the, the points I'm going to make in the inside of those bulletins. The first thing I want to tell you is that our anxiety is trying to tell us something. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but from the moment we're born, we express anxiety. Well, that's a baby's first thing when 
they're born. They cry. What is that? Right? They're expressing stress and anxiety. See, anxiety is part of the human condition, is it not? And so from the Bible's perspective, from God's perspective, anxiety is not something we just dismiss, we just cover over, we just ignore. In fact, our anxieties are trying to tell us something. They really are. It's trying to tell us something about ourselves. It's trying to tell us something about our world, the world we live in. And so ultimately, it's trying to tell us something about God or our relationship with God. So I want you for a moment to take the things that you are most anxious or worried or stressed about and ask yourself the question, what is it trying to tell me? Now, that is not as easy as it sounds. Because in order to do that, you see, you have to slow down first. And anxiety has a way of causing us to react rather than slow down. Have you noticed that? You see, anxiety comes on us and the feeling is so overwhelming that it's part of our normal protection instinct, defensiveness to get rid of that because it hurts. It's uncomfortable. We want to get rid of anxiety. And so we generally act or speak without thinking. We don't slow down. And so I wonder, the last time you were particularly stressed or anxious, how did that show itself when you didn't slow down? I mean, maybe for you, you lashed out in anger or you let your thoughts overwhelm you. Or maybe you try to relieve stress, and I tend to do this by nagging or dominating others or controlling others or taking too much control of a situation. Or maybe for you it's the opposite. You withdraw, you hide, you distract yourself. Or maybe it's a conflict situation that's causing you stress, so you gossip or you try and pull in a third party to try and side with you. And you know That's what we do when we don't slow down, when we let our anxieties dictate our reactions. And can I just ask you, if you did any of those things, did it actually really help in the long run? <laughs> Chances are no, right? We actually need to slow down. And the first thing we want to do when we slow down is to ask, well, what is our anxiety trying to tell us? The first thing it's trying to tell us is that we fear something, yeah? It's not surprising, is it? What lies beneath anxiety is almost always fear. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what is my anxiety revealing about my fear? If you are anxious about your study or your work, you may be afraid of failing. You may be afraid of losing your job or letting others down. If you're anxious about the way you look, your body image, maybe because you're afraid of being judged or shamed. If you're anxious about being single, Maybe because you're afraid of being alone, afraid of missing out on children or companionship. If you're anxious about money, you're afraid of not being able to pay the bills or survive or maintain a certain lifestyle. If you're anxious about your safety or someone else's safety, especially if you've got young kids, then yes, it's because you're afraid of pain, you're afraid of loss, you're afraid of death. Maybe you're anxious about your health. Because you're afraid of not being able to live and work and enjoy life independently and meaningfully. Or you're anxious about being with people, especially people you don't know. Well, you're afraid of being rejected, aren't you? You're anxious about the future because you're afraid of uncertainty. You're afraid of danger. Afraid of being hurt by things you don't know. Or maybe you're anxious about death. Because you're afraid of pain. You're afraid of separation. Afraid of loss. Right? Beneath our anxieties are actually fears, and it's important to, 
to see that. Now, this can be really hard if you do have particular anxiety disorders where it's so overwhelming that generally it's almost like there's this blanket of doom and dread that covers over everything. And to sort out specifically, slow down even, is really hard. And can I just say again, um, you may need to talk it through with a counsellor or a psychologist because they can help kind of unpack that for you. But the first thing, though, as I said, what is my anxiety telling me? What am I fearing? What's that? But let's go one step deeper because what we fear actually also reveals what we cherish, what we value. Isn't that true? What you fear reveals what you value. Now, I'm never anxious about my sneakers. You know, sneakers, the words you wear on your feet. I'm never anxious about losing them. I don't care if I get them dirty. Um... Why? Because they're just not that important to me. Now, some of you re- buy expensive sneakers, you love that kind of thing, and you would be, okay? You, you care if you kind of got them really dirty. I don't. But you know what? My bike, well, let me tell you about that. That is another matter. Recently, I fell off my bike. I had a crash. My first thought was, what's my first thought? Is my bike okay? And it was, and then I realized I was bleeding. Okay, I know I never lose sleep over people who might troll my Facebook or you know write nasty comments on a thread that have to do with me. I, I I genuinely don't lose sleep over that, but I will lose sleep when a fellow pastor or a congregation member criticizes me. Do you see? My anxieties reveal my fears, and my fears reveal what I value. Now that is not always a bad thing. Okay, don't hear me say that's a bad thing because actually. It's a good thing that we care. The person who lives completely without worry or maybe, you know, completely... Like you might know people who are so laid back, it's like they're they're not worried about anything. Well, they may not have a lot of anxiety, but they also tend to be kind of irresponsible and selfish, yeah? Because if you don't care about anyone or anything, then you won't fear, of course, and you aren't going to be anxious. Now, that is no more biblical or Christian-like than it is you know, to worry because biblical Christianity is not living without cares and worries at all. In fact, if you read the experience of Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, I've just come across so many passages. I've been reading a lot of 2 Corinthians lately, but it's all throughout his letters. He cares so deeply for the people that he has pastored, that he loves, and he feels so much anxiety at times over them. He's worried about them, right? He's distressed for them sometimes because he cares. Now, later on, we're going to look at how anxieties and fears may actually reveal that what we care about is too important in our lives, or what we'll call idols, God replacements. Now, that that is true. That can sometimes reveal that what we cherish the most, and that's why we fear, and that's why we're so anxious about it, are things that really shouldn't take pride of place. But my point is that that's not necessarily the case, right? That our anxiety reveals fears, and our fears actually reveal what we value It's actually part of the human experience because we care about people, we care about things, we care about our future. But let me now go to the idea of the story, okay? What is is our anxiety telling us about our story? What is the story that lies behind it? Well, anxiety tells us a story about who we are and also reveals a story about who we're meant to be deep down inside and what's wrong with the world. You see, when we're anxious and we're fearful, we actually realize, don't we? And if you've ever had a moment of real anxiety, you realize how vulnerable and how fragile you are. 
We don't like that feeling. That's why we try and deal with it and react quickly. We don't like feeling vulnerable and fragile. But anxiety reveals that we are. And do you know what the Bible wants to say to that? You know what God wants to say to that? The Bible wants to say, yes, yes, you are vulnerable. Yes, you are fragile. And that's a good thing to realize that we are not gods. That we're human. And we're not creator. We are creatures. And the Bible has this right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, only the second chapter of the Bible, when it talks about how we were made. And look what it says about what we're made from. Genesis 2, it's on the uh, overhead. Then the Lord God formed a man from what? The dust of the ground. Anxiety reveals that we are dust. Vulnerable, fragile, in some sense, insignificant dust. But God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became a living being. We're made of dust, animated by God's power. So being fragile, dust, it's important to remember, therefore, we were never created to be self-sufficient. You got that? We were never created to be self-sufficient. That's not where our security lies. In and of ourselves, we are dust. But if you read on in chapter 2 of Genesis, you'll realize that even though Adam and Eve made from dust, our great ancestors made from dust, they were not at all insecure or fearful. And in the garden, they had nothing to be anxious about. So why is that? I mean, were they made of different stuff? No, no, no. They, like us, we, like them, were made from dust. So what is it about them that, that made it that they didn't have to fear or be anxious or to be worried? It's not because they themselves were gods or somehow more mighty than we are, right? made from the same stuff. But because when they were created, when we were all created, we were meant to be in relationship with someone who was God. Right? We were never meant to be self-sufficient. We were always meant to be dependent. And our anxieties reveal not only that we are dust, but we are dependent. And so if you read on in Genesis, let me show you the bits from the rest of the chapter. You'll see where their security came from. Why is it that Adam and Eve, though made from dust, didn't have anything to be anxious about? Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. You notice who is the actor, who is the subject of all of the action words? God. Right? Why didn't they have anything to say? Because God was doing this, all this for them. And then the, the great summary is that last verse. Adam and his wife were both naked. They felt no shame. So you see, they were completely still vulnerable like we are made from dust, but yet they were completely secure. Because God and relationship with God meant that God was taking care of all their needs. Their material and physical needs were taken care of. God put them in this garden, this fruitful, beautiful paradise garden. Their relationship needs were taken care of. God gave them each other in marriage. The need to lead meaningful lives were taken care of. God gave them work to do, meaningful work to do. And even their eternity is taken care of. God gave them the tree of life. So they're still dust, still vulnerable, but yet nothing to fear, absolutely secure. And that's why they were naked 
so vulnerable, right? And yet unashamed, absolutely secure. Anxiety reveals that we were made from dust, that we were made in a world where we didn't need to and weren't supposed to function independently, but dependently, our security coming from God. But also our anxieties exist for us, and only a chapter later for Adam and Eve, our ancestors, because sin entered the world. See, when sin enters the world, so does fear and so does anxiety. Now, why is that? Because sin at its core is not about doing bad stuff. Sin at its core is seeking independence from God, to reject the relationship with God that we were created to live off, the security that we were meant to have. Uh, A sin is like unplugging a fridge from its power source. The food in the fridge is going to go rotten because the fridge was never meant to function unplugged from its power source. Sin is seeking independence from the one, the very one we were supposed to stay plugged to. And by rejecting God and wanting to be independent of Him, well, everything that is really secure is now taken away because it comes in relationship with God, you see. Because true security never was supposed to come from me looking within. And here's the thing, right? We don't grab hold of that. We don't realize that. And some, ver- some aspects of psychotherapy will get us to look within ourselves for security when we're anxious. And that will not ever ultimately help, will it? Because you weren't ever meant to be looking within yourself. True security doesn't come from us. It only comes in relationship with God. We don't have time to read Genesis chapter 3, but all those things that came with relationship with God, of course, they all fall away the next chapter. So materially and physically, now everything is under threat. They were expelled from the garden paradise. The world outside of the garden, our world is hostile, it's dangerous. Work and labor would be hard, toil, because the ground would be cursed. It's not going to be easy meaningful, fruitful. Sickness, suffering, and death comes into the world. Life is now uncertain, and death means that we return to the dust of which we are formed, and so work and achievement ultimately becomes meaningless. But I think most tragic is, of course, what happens to relationships. Remember that last line, they were naked, vulnerable, but unashamed, secure? Well, one of the first consequences of sin, they eat the fruit they weren't supposed to, and they realize that they were naked, And then they hid because they were ashamed. That's just a horrible turnaround, isn't it? Because here's Adam with his wife Eve and Eve with her husband Adam. The person closest to me, my spouse, is now a threat to me. Because even with them, I can't be completely exposed or vulnerable. When I'm exposed, I'm now unsafe. I need to hide who I really am because... If I'm exposed in front of you or you in front of me, there's going to be rejection and judgment instead of acceptance and love. That's a tragedy, isn't it? Now vulnerability becomes something we should fear with each other. And that is the world we're in now. And that's why anxiety and fear exist. But in a sense, I want to say anxiety and fear is entirely appropriate in this world we live. Yeah, Because anxiety is a warning sign that our lives are insecure, that this is the world we live in, that we are fragile, that the world is a dangerous place. You know, the Bible says all of these things are true. If you see someone running around in panic on the Titanic after it's just hit an iceberg, right? And they're running and they're screaming and they're like having a meltdown. You know what? They may be onto something. 
And it's everyone else who's eating and drinking and just kind of, right? They're the ones who are deluded. Our anxieties, our fears are actually trying to tell us something about the world. And as I said before, unless we really grapple with the fact that these things are true, that we are dust, that we are dependent, that we are disordered, and so the problems go much deeper, then any solution that we seek will only ever be superficial, won't it? Because here it is. And those of you who are anxious know this better than anyone else. Like, death is scary. We can get hurt easily. Rejection happens even in the best of relationships. Money can be easily lost. Loneliness is crippling. Sickness comes to everyone. And even the strongest can fall. On this side of the garden, nothing is secure. Right? We are dust, we are dependent, we are disordered. Which is why coming to my second main point, Jesus is the only ultimate solution. Because we've got to go right into our deepest problem. And here is where God has a different story for the world and for our lives. See, anxiety will only take to reveal our problems, but it won't tell you the solution. Jesus will give you the solution and the different story that he will, God wants to invite you to be part of. Because in Jesus, God enters into our disordered world in order to bring us back to paradise, to security, to the way we were created in May. Now, how does he do that? Well, firstly, Jesus' life. You see, if you open um, the, the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you meet Jesus in the historical accounts, you will see the way that he entered our world and what did he do with the broken and the suffering and the anxious? Oh, there's so much isn't there. But, you know, three examples. Remember when there was a raging storm? Threatened to capsize the boat that they were in. His disciples were fearing for their lives. Jesus speaks peace and calms the storm. So many cases of sickness and disease. And Jesus comes and he touches it or prays for those who are sick, commands the sickness, and people are healed. And in the midst of death and sorrow, Jesus calls people back to life and they walk out of their tombs. And Jesus is able to bring security because he himself modeled it perfectly. Remember, human beings were created to be completely dependent, not self-sufficient, but dependent on God. And that's where our sense of security will ultimately come from. Well, Jesus did that perfectly, didn't he? I mean, Jesus always lived in complete dependence. He didn't have all the, the trappings of material security. He wasn't born rich. He was born in poverty. He worked his life. He had friendships with friends that betrayed him. I mean, he went through suffering and difficulty. And yet Jesus was always completely dependent. And so we see Jesus, though in a disordered world, himself not overwhelmed by anxiety or fear. There was actually, however, just one time he was, wasn't there? Right? Every other instance in Jesus when he faced the difficulties and the hardships of life, he wasn't overwhelmed with anxiety and fear except that one time. When was that? When did Jesus actually get overwhelmed by anxiety? Genuine question, where was it? 
Yeah, he was praying the night before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this is really important. So let's have a look at... Um, oh, sorry. Let's have a look at Mark chapter 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. I've never seen Jesus like this. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Do you know what that feels like? Well, Jesus did. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour, he's talking about his death, might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup, right, what he's about to suffer on the cross. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus very very consciously and deliberately went to the place and the point where he was overwhelmed with anxiety and fear. Why? Because he was about to bear the sins of the world, to die in our place. Because it was sin that put us out of the garden in the first place. And so it's sin that needed to be dealt with. So relationship with God and access to paradise can be opened again. And so he goes to the cross and he chose to go there for us. And he went to the place of deepest soul-destroying anxiety and fear and dread. You will never have to face what Jesus had to face. Why? Because on the cross, the very next day, he actually went to hell. As he bore the sins of humanity on himself in our place, he experienced hell in all of its dreadfulness and darkness in our place. No matter how bad your future, your present feels or looks, you will never, if you belong to Jesus, you will never, ever have to face hell, ever, because he went there for you. But that's why he was overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. He did it for us. But because his death does deal with sin so radically, completely finished As I said, he opens the door to paradise and then he rises again to be the first to lead us into paradise. From the garden where he was overwhelmed with anxiety is to restore us to the original garden that we were created to enjoy. And so Jesus is raised to life again and he guarantees that if you are his, then you will also rise again like him. And so death, that scary thing that everyone fears, well, for, for the person who's a follower of Jesus, it's just, a, it's just an entry point, the doorway to eternal life in a restored and perfect world. And also because the, that, that Jesus is alive again, alive right now, he promises to always be with you. That's not a moot promise. It's not just he lives in your memory. He really is alive. And by his spirit, he is with you and he will never leave you no matter what until you get to eternity. And so my final third point, what is hope for the anxious? Well, let me say four things. First one is this. There is hope for the anxious when you know God personally and know Him deeply. See, isn't it true that um, who you know and who is with you can actually give you confidence and security in an otherwise scary or insecure situation? I mean, most of us would be pretty freaked out about walking down a scary alley alone at night, wouldn't we? Yeah? But imagine if you were walking down this alley with Chuck Norris. 
Okay, maybe not Chuck Norris, at least a police officer or someone, you know. <laughs> okay, that suddenly is not as scary, is it? Who you know, who you're with, yeah? Or going to a party where you don't know anyone. I don't know that many people would feel completely comfortable in that situation. Some of you would completely just be terrified of that situation. But imagine if you're walking into that party, though, and you are walking in with the host of the party, and you are the VIP guest. All of a sudden, it's not quite as scary, isn't it? See, who you're with, who you know, can actually take away a lot of the fear and anxiety. See, we were created, remember, not to be secure in ourselves, but in relationship with the God who made us. So if you want to have true security in the midst of fear and uncertainty, it's there. As you seek relationship with God and He invites you to have a relationship with Him, He's provided it through Jesus, opened the door for you to be able to do that. That's where your true security is going to lie. Remember, this isn't a God who looks from a distance. Jesus faced anxiety to its most soul-crushing depths. And so when he says, yeah, I understand, like he really does. He's been there. And when you know God, you will know some truths that go hand in hand. And they are the truths that you really need to know uh, as, you, as you walk with God through anxieties. And that is that God is, while he is great and completely in control of all things, he is also gracious, right? That God, while he is mighty, he is also merciful and tender. That while he is powerful, he is also up close and personal. That while he is infinite, he is also intimate. And isn't it true that when you are going through rough times in life, you need him to be both. You need him both to be great and in control, but also up close and personal. And he is. And as you get to know him personally and deeply, you'll realize that. Now, if you're here not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to say you can know God like that. That might surprise you. Right? You think Christianity is all about religion. It's not. It's actually about relationship. You get to know God deeply and personally through Jesus. And we want to invite you again to come to Fresh because that's just a, a way in which you can find out more about Jesus and know that this can be for you. So come along to Fresh Tuesday. But if you are a follower of Jesus, can I just um, get you to ask two questions for yourself? Ask yourself two questions. The first question is, ask yourself, do you really know him? I mean, do you really know him? Because here's the thing. Knowing God is not the same as knowing about God. And, and, and in the toughest times in your life, you know what? God cannot just be a distant concept. He has to be an intimate companion. Do, do you know what I mean? Right? You can't just conceptually know God. You might have degrees in theology and only know him as a concept. He really does need to be an up-close companion. Do you know God like that? Now, I, I don't know what your answer is to that, but can I just say, if you are in a season of utter weakness, anxiety, stress, depression even, that it's actually, funnily enough, often in these seasons of weakness that God can move from being a concept to a companion. Sometimes you don't know that Jesus is all you need unless, until Jesus is all you have. And I know from personal experience, and it'll be the experience of so many people here, it's when I went through those really rough times that God became much more intimate as a companion, not just a concept. 
So it may very well be that what you're going through now is God's way of, of, of making that shift from concept to companion. Because you'll need that, won't you? It's then that prayer moves from being a shopping list to a, a soul's desperate cry for intimacy. And that's available to you. And just to give you a tip about praying, when you're in those really anxious, difficult times, can I encourage you to pray not just about the anxiety and the situation, Remember, anxieties reveal fear, fears reveal values. Pray about your fears. It can be hard sometimes to be vulnerable to God. Rather than just pray about the situation, God, deliver me from this, you know, so my boss won't bully me anymore, or this conflict will be solved, or I'll pass my exam. No, no, pray about, God, I admit to you that I'm really afraid. I'm scared of failing. I'm scared of being rejected. Have you ever done that? Because being vulnerable with God is really going to help move him from being a concept to a companion. And maybe even go deeper and admit to him, hey, you know what, God? It's because I really cherish and value these things. And so that leads to my second point, which is not just ask, do I really know him? Ask yourself if your anxieties and fears reveal that what you cherish may be a God substitute. Sometimes God allows us to, to not... To, to be in that season of, of desperation and anxiety for longer than we would like because he wants us to look deep inside and say, what is your anchor? What, do you, what is your rock? What are you grounding your life on? What do you really cherish and value beneath those fears? Is it actually me, God? Or is it a God substitute? Maybe good things like people's approval or love and affection from others or pleasure or security and control over circumstances, situations. Like they're good things, but they can so often take the place of God. And when they take the place of God, our anxieties about losing them and fears about losing them will most often than not actually consume us. Yeah? Because these idols, when they take the place of God, they can't give you the security that only God can. They're powerless. Anything that you value above God can and will let you down, whether it is love or approval from others or material security or life's pleasures. And so sometimes God wants us to look so deep, admit that, hey, God, you know what? This is revealed to me that I've actually cherished, held on to, clung on to something far more important than you. And I'm sorry for that. Please help me restore you to your rightful place. See if that doesn't change the way you view him, your circumstances, because it will. Do your anxieties and fears actually reveal an idol? So that's the first thing. Get to know God personally and deeply and be wary of something that's come to replace God. Secondly, let God's promises speak louder than your fears. Did you know that the most frequent command in the Bible is actually, don't be afraid? Really? It is God's most frequent command. Right? Do not fear. Don't be afraid. But with this command often comes promises. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I will be with you. That's a promise. And there's so many other promises that he speaks to you. He will provide for your material needs. Jesus says in Matthew 6, not your material wants, but your material needs. God promises that he will never leave you or forsake you. I've got some of these passages down on the outlines. Deuteronomy 31. He promises that when you cast your anxiety on him, you can because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. He promises that he will give you peace that passes all understanding, Philippians 4. He promises that in all things, 
He will work together for the good of those who love him, Romans 8. And that's why we read Romans 8. And I hope you have it still open in front of you because you just want to look through everything that God is promising, especially if you are in a place of anxiety and fear. And for example, are you afraid of opposition, judgment from others? Well, God says in verse 31, if I am for you, who can be against you? Isn't that a wonderful promise? If you're afraid of shame or being condemned, verse 34, who can condemn you? No one. Are you afraid of being unloved or rejected? Verse 35, who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of the future? Are you afraid of the forces of evil, Satan, or the demonic? Those last verses in Romans 8, aren't they precious? Look at them again. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In times of anxiety and fear, you've got to let the promises of God speak louder than your fears. It's not easy to do sometimes, I know. Right? You might have to do a lot of reminding yourself. Memorizing scripture helps. Asking friends to help remind you of these things helps. Persisting with coming to church and Bible study can be really important even when you don't feel like it because you need to fill your mind with the promises of God. And next one, to ground your identity and security in Jesus. Um, let me, again, use Adam Ford, who's the uh, founder of the Babylon Bee. I mentioned him earlier in the sermon. Look what he says. It's really helpful, I think. He says, we live a life in which, he's talking about those like him who suffer from anxiety disorders, in which our feelings actively try to kill us. It's a strange existence. We know better than most that feelings can be filthy, stinking liars, while subjective feelings try to do us in. The objective truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is what sustains us. It's our life raft. The fact that God chose us before the foundation of the world sent his son to die on a cross for us, taking upon himself the punishment for our sins, granting us eternal life and perfect bliss with him in heaven. This is what sustains us through many dark times. I don't know how I could go on this without this truth sustaining me. This is the anchor of our soul, that our status before God is secure because it's not dependent on our turbulent feelings. It's dependent on the finished work of Christ. So when God looks at us, even when we're being smothered by a wet anxiety blanket, he sees a beloved child perfectly clothed in the full righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, here it is. If, if you suffer with anxiety or any other mental health condition or struggle, you need to know that you're not defined by that. You're not defined by your fears, your anxiety, your depression, you are defined by Jesus and who God says you are in Jesus. And this is what I mean when I say that God has another story. True hope only comes when we see God's alternate story, how different it is to the lies that we might be telling ourselves or the feelings might be telling us. And we cling on to God's story and take up his invitation to make his story our own. And very quickly, finally, you cannot do this alone. And I think Diana very helpfully reminded us of that. Firstly, you may need professional help. 
All right. Go and see a mental health professional, a counsellor, psychologist, maybe even a psychiatrist. You may even need medication. No shame in that. Right? That's not opposed to God. Okay? God can work through and in that. And you may need pastoral help. We are here to pray for you, your leaders, your elders, your pastors. And we'll have a time and opportunity to do that. But you definitely, without a question, will need friends. You will need friends. You'll need people to walk beside you and alongside you. And the church community, we don't do this perfectly, right? but we want to. And here it is. If you are a friend of someone who is struggling... Be a friend. Yeah, you're not there to fix them, as Diana said. They're to walk alongside them to be understanding. It takes a lot of persistence and patience. They may not always respond well, but deep down inside they do appreciate it, I've heard. Be wise. Right? You don't want to be judgmental, offer quick fixes. Definitely don't want to do that. But sometimes you are the only one who can remind them gently and persistently of the truth of the gospel of that alternate storyline of who God says they are. And sometimes a simple text or email, especially if they find that the face-to-face or the conversation on the phone is just a little bit too scary, right? And just doing that persistently over time, that can really help stick with them. But you can't do it alone. You need friends, and you may need to be a friend to someone in that situation. All right, I'm going to get the band to come up. We're going to sing.